Hello there, education and podcast fans. Andrew, the son of your favorite podcast host, Barbara Bray here. How's it going, Mom? I'm doing great. I I am so lucky that we can do this each time. Mm, I mean, we don't get to be together, so this is like such a gift for me. Yeah, I love how, again, the silver lining is being able to find a closer and closer approximation, if if a real thing, of a genuine connection over technology. I love it. Yeah. And we did it. We're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about uh, the upcoming conversation that we get to hear? Oh, well, (laughs) I met this amazing person. This is another person I met at South by Southwest. I have to tell you, I... It's like we've known each other forever. Her name is Catherine Mingarden. She's in Liverpool. She, when we started talking, I just, it's almost like I, we wanted just to keep talking. We did, like hours. <laughs> wait, wait how, was this during the podcast? No, <laughs> no, no, no. In, in South by Southwest, they only give us yeah. 15 minutes. Yeah. And so I, and then we said, no, we got to keep it going. So we got the Zoom going and we started talking. And then we've done mm-hmm. several before we did our podcast. And <laughs> and then we're writing the podcast, the post together. And everything about our life is so amazing. I mean, she's not only an artist, she's been in museums. The little thing about cats and beetles, just just going to put that out there. You got to learn about and music. She did some interesting things and um, yeah, and she's done things with NASA and mm-hmm. the space shuttle. I'm not going to give you any more. Oh my gosh. And, and she's written uh, children's books that there's one coming out. Oh my gosh. She's right. Her illustrator is 12 years old. From New Jersey, not from what? Liverpool. I know. What? Every time she kept what? telling me, and there's more. So I, I told her, I said, I can't believe you. How are you doing? Anyway, people are <laughs> going to be blown away with this podcast. See, this is this is where I'm incredibly spoiled. And I feel bad for everybody else because I just love... Um, I, I love watching your enthusiasm too. Your, uh, and so folks, you only get like a, an audio approximation of how bubbly uh, this woman, my mom is. Uh, uh, so I'm really glad you guys get to stay tuned and listen to Barbara Bray and Catherine Memgarden. This is an amazing, amazing time. I've got the most wonderful person here. Catherine Mingarden. I just am so excited. We've been talking and and now we finally can talk about some of the things we've been sharing with each other. Yeah, absolutely. It's so good to be here. It's fun. It's fun. I met you at South by Southwest and when we first started talking, I went, oh my gosh, I know her. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't you feel like that when we talked? It was, it was very funny. It was just like, because I was a bit like I was a bit nervous about meeting you because you know, I, I met you as a mentor and I, me as a mentee, and I was like, <laughs> oh, what am I bringing to this? And then we just the second we started talking, it was just like, oh yes, yes, we are we are one and the same. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I mean, we. Well, anyway, I want to introduce you to my listeners. I want them to know a little bit about you, and uh, then we'll go deeper. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine Mingarden is an education content specialist with 20 years experience in developing online innovative 
education programs and resources. She is the author of The Three Little Inventors, nonfiction children's books published by HarperCollins. She has other books. She has other things. She's so amazing. I can't wait to talk about it. Welcome, Catherine. <laughs> Thank you, Barbara. Oh, it's amazing. It's really, really fun to be here with you. Oh, me too. I'm just having so much fun with you. And we, we've been talking. This is like the third time. We've talked and you started telling me a little bit about you. And every time you tell me a little bit about you, (laughs) you tell me something new. I just want you to share kind of how you became you. There's something about the creative side that we connected, but how did you find you and and where you're brought up and everything? Oh my God. It took me a while. It took me a while. I was quite lost. It took a long time to find me, but here I am. Um, I suppose, you know, I had a, um, so first of all, I'm French. I was born in Toulouse in a sunny, sunny, lovely city. And um, my mom had, um, was a, a dancer in her, in the sixties. She was a, she was a ballet dancer. She toured across the world and all that stuff. But um, when she couldn't continue dancing, she became a dance teacher and she had a dance school. So basically I grew up in a dance school and uh, <laughs> I I, you did that. You didn't know that. Um, I mean, we've been talking. (laughs) Where did this come from? Okay. I love it. I love it. um, But it was quite funny because at age four, and I mean, obviously everyone was always asking me, are you going to be a dancer when you grow up? And age four, I said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to be a dancer. Have you seen how they eat? (laughs) (laughs) You have to like eat tiny like a bird. (laughs) I was like, this is is not for me. Oh, that's so funny. Um, but anyway, so I grew up. I grew up in that sort of home where my my dad was an engineer, my mum was a dance teacher. So there's like this really sort of arty side and a very sort of practical side meshed together. And um, and I guess that's quite that's quite a grounding thing in a way. Um, what was really funny is that we had all these amazing dancers, like celebrity in the world of dance, coming to our house. Uh-huh. And the next day, I would go to school and say, "Oh my God, do you know we came to the house yesterday?" And we were like, "Who?" <laughs> No one knew who they were, even though they were like massive stars. It was like a really odd thing. Um, wow. Anyway, so that's that's sort of like uh, how it all kind of like started in a, in a sort of weird, slightly parallel world. And um, and I suppose the other thing is that, you know, that was quite formative is that I did very well at school when I was very little. And then I just went downhill like there was no tomorrow, like literally. So from the age of 12 onwards, like my school results just went boom, 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 boom. Whoa, what, I wonder what happened. Oh, well, what happened? You know, it took me a long time to figure it out, but I, now I know. Um, so basically when I left school at 18, I felt I was deeply stupid. That's how I felt about myself. Because that's, that's what, you know, the teachers had sort of, I wasn't really good at, you know, science and math were not my thing. And um, so I did like literature and languages, which I was good at. But uh, the, the head teacher, get this, the head teacher, when he saw us in the school, he would call us the bin, <gasps> la poubelle. Oh, ooh. Because we were the ones who were not capable of doing maths to his levels, basically. Oh, so he'd label you and then shame uh-huh. you, shame you. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's terrible. And, uh, and I think that's very formative because, because my education experience was as bad as it was. Let's face it, there's nothing glorious there. Uh, I think it's made me as determined as I am today to really sort of look at how we provide education in a different way. 
So ironically, I, I really think that this was absolutely a key part of making me who I am because it took me 20 years to realize that I wasn't stupid. Oh, you know, if you read my book, I have, it's almost like you wrote that part about me because <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened to me. Yeah, thing. yeah. 20 years it took me. Isn't that amazing? Ah. Yeah. And, um, and then I, you know, I only realized a few months ago because I had, um, I finally realized what is it, what it is with me is that I have ADHD and that's something that I had no idea about until a friend of mine was diagnosed and talked a bit about his experience. And I just went, Oh, this is very familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And, um, and it's kind of like, you know, I think if, if people at the time when I was growing up knew about ADHD, the way they do now they would have picked up on it because it was like all about could do so much better, gets very distracted, daydreams and can't seem to sit still. So there we go. So that's, that's what it was. But um, Mm. I choose to see this as a, this thing that a lot of people talk about so negatively, actually it it does have this thing of being a bit like a superpower because Ah, there's a podcast I just did that we're going to have to have you look at. It's the one with, um, Nicole and Jason. Jason, it's all about, I can learn when I'm moving. It's all about him yes. having ADHD and he's nine. He helped write the book. So oh, amazing. I want to read that one. Yes. And, yeah. And, and it's amazing. That's how I was char- characterized. Mm, so I, yeah. and I'm really old and my <laughs> therapist said, I'm just wondering if you have ADHD just now, just recently. Yes. <laughs> can you imagine waiting all that time to find out? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, it's interesting because when you talk to, I mean, quite a few ADHD communities because they're amazing. There's nothing better if you want information or anything, validation, than a bunch of ADHD women. Because they- <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of scary. <laughs> well, you're going to yeah. get answers straight away. You're going to get a million of them and they're all going to be very, very caring. And that's the beauty of it. It's like a very compassionate sort of community. Um, so it's been fantastic to sort of be that, but there's definitely that thing that, you know, you kind of have to grieve for the stuff that if only this has been picked up earlier, but at the same time, it's like, well, it's part of the experience. This mm-hmm. is what happens mm-hmm. and let's make the most of it. You know? Well, the thing is, it's that if it's you, it's me, it's you, it, it's like, what do you do with it? And if you really know that you're not stupid, you're, it's just that you have all this energy. Yes. And that. And so a lot of people say to me, how do you have so much energy? I said, I don't know. Maybe it's coffee. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it's it's like I try to put, I, I do something with it. And so um, I got to join that group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll send, you, I'll send you a link. So, I mean, everything about you is amazing. So you were... Born in France and moved to London, but you didn't say when you moved. How old were you when you moved there? I was 22 when I moved here. And uh, so that was 26 years ago. So there's no French accent. I can have the French accent, uh, but uh, it doesn't come. (laughs) (laughs) That is amazing. Uh, After a couple of glasses of wine, it comes out a lot more. We'll have to sit and, and have our glass together. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> well, oh, well, you do so many things that I didn't mention it in the introduction, but one of them is you're an artist. 
I started looking at your site and I, and I put some of the pictures in on the post. I want people mm-hmm. to go to first. What is Karuski? Karuski. <laughs> so um, my family, my my mum, her again. <laughs> she's um, she's her parents were Russian, so she was born in France, but she's from Russian parents. Ah. And um, and so I sort of wanted to do a little. I'm named Catherine with a K. It's not typical in France at all, uh, but it's the K of like a Russian K kind of thing, except it fits much better in England, which is a bit ironic again. Anyway, so I just wanted to have a name, like some kind of alias that was like making me think of that. So it's K Ruski, K Ruski. Ah. And that's my, that's my little alias. Okay. Got it now. I got it. Yeah. And then um, your, your drawings are amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Um, Want to share a little bit about, you know, that, that piece of you? Yeah, well, that's um, it's kind of like also part of the same story is that, you know, I used to draw a lot as a child. And um, and when I was about 18, 19 or so, I completely stopped because I thought I was rubbish and uh, and there was no Facebook to share stuff and no one to tell me that they looked any good. And so I just thought, no, that's it. And uh, and I didn't draw for 20 years. You know, there's a real parallel going on here. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> And, um, uh, and I started again, it was, um, you know, with, with having children, um, uh, I think my daughter must've been five or so. And I had this book by Julia Donaldson, the woman who did, who did the, uh, the Gruffalo. Oh, yes. I don't know if you know the Gruffalo. Yeah. Uh-huh. And she's got this other book that's absolutely beautiful called the paper dolls. And, oh, uh, it's a beautiful that. story. It's like, um, it's a mom who makes a series of paper dolls with her daughter and they color them in and they all have a personality and the little girl plays with them all the time until one day a mean boy comes along and just chops them to pieces. Oh, and, and she has to, and she boy. has to sort of, yeah. So she has to then store them in her memory with things that she, other things that have, that she has lost, like her grandmother or like the, you know, the, the, the goldfish and stuff like that. So it's a lovely story, really quite touching. Oh, I'm going to get that book. That sounds really wonderful. It's, it's so nice. And, um, and I just love the story and I love these paper dolls. And I thought, okay, I want to do that with my daughter. So I made these paper dolls. I copied them off the book and I just did these paper dolls for her to play with. And then my husband turned around and just went, uh, hang on in there. How did you do this? It looks exactly the same. <laughs> and he was really flawed. And I was like, okay, interesting. So then I made, um, I made another bunch of paper dolls, but it was dancing cats because I have loads of cats. So I made some dancing cats and I put them on Facebook and everyone was like, where did you get this? It's amazing. I was like, oh, interesting. And then I, you know, basically the idea started flowing. So then I thought I would love to make paper dolls of bands. So I made a version of Blondie as paper dolls. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And then the next thing I did was a family portrait of us, of my family, in the style of um, going on a bear hunt. So it's again, like, you know, children literature is a big thing, et cetera. So going on the bear hunt, you've got the, the mum and the dad and the two children and they're going on an adventure and sort of profiles. So I did this drawing and again, I put it on Facebook and people just went, uh, I want one of those, please now. Wow. <laughs> um, so I started getting all these commissions for people wanting family portraits. And it's kind of like, you know, I just decided to just stop, suspend belief about talent or not talent. I just thought, this is what I do. This is the style that I do. I draw like I did when I was nine and that's okay. You know, I shouldn't try to be something different. 
Um, and it became a fabulous creative outlook. At, at, at that stage, I was still working in sort of uh, office jobs, which really wasn't for me. So this gave me like a brilliant creative outlet. And, um, and the ideas kept coming. So I, did, um, I started perching families in trees. You know, you talk about family trees, but actually that this one has actually physical people all in one tree all together. And that's like a beautiful memento. I have the picture of that. Wonderful. I did yeah. one with, um, I did one that's really fond of, um, with 52 people in it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and it was very special because, um, the person who, there was a friend of mine who wanted it for his dad who had dementia Oh. and he wanted the tree so that, uh, because I also put the names of people in the leaves, hidden in the leaves. So for him, he had this, uh, just giant drawing in his living room. And so when he couldn't remember something, he could look at it and remember the name of people. Oh, oh, that's so touching. So You're it make became me a cry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it felt like, yeah, a very special thing to do for someone. And, uh, and in a way, that's how, when I do things, I want to do them in a way that's going to mean something. For me, having, having you know, uh, this sort of connection is really important. Well, you had things, I mean, you did a whole thing on the Beatles, right? And I, I'm looking at that and thinking, this is amazing. And in fact, a lot of your cat albums and a lot of the things you're doing, they were featured in exhibits and museums. And Yes. Well, that was a crazy thing. So same thing. So I had this idea of, um, so I, I really love music. I'm really into music. And which is one of the reasons why I moved to London, because I just want to see all the gigs. And um, we were about to go and see Kraftwerk a few years ago, the German band. And I thought, wouldn't it be funny if Kraftwerk was Katzwerk, you know, like, <laughs> so turning them all into cats. And so I did that. I sort of did this cover of this, their album called The Man Machine. And I turned them all into cats and I called it The Cat Machine. And uh, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Then the craziest thing happened is that a friend of mine shared it on her wall. So Facebook is quite important in my life. It sort of helped me to, to develop a lot of stuff. Um, and this guy in Belgium, who is a collector of album covers that feature cats, got in touch <laughs> and said, I'm doing this exhibition in the summer and I would really like to feature your art. Um, how many do you have? And I said, I have one. <laughs> <laughs> and totally undeterred, he said, well, how many more can you make? Oh, so I made like this whole collection. They they invited me over, and um, I thought it was going to be like a, I don't know, just like you know, maybe in a cafe with like a few things. But no, it was the Contemporary Museum of Leuven. <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh, that is and it big. Was like, it was big, and it was like a proper festival. And my work was there. And then they, they wanted me to do like an event when I was talking about the importance of cats in art. And, you know, I had coverage in the newspaper and it was like, what is going on? <laughs> Unbelievable. Really funny, really funny. And um, just a funny experience, basically. Well, you know, there's so much I want to talk about. I, I had no idea of this part of your life. <laughs> until I so... I want everyone to go to your Instagram. So we got to put the Instagram link in because you have so, those pictures are there. That's how I found some from you. And I think people will love seeing the cats. And Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, I know. And you have so many other things too, but we're going to put that in the blog post and we'll, yeah, yeah. so people can go there. Now you've done some other things. You've worked with different organizations 
and done uh, books and strategies for lots of different groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I suppose I fell into, I was sort of like quite lucky in a way because in the um, early 2000s in the UK, there was like a real boom of e-learning, you know, like the government really invested in getting all the classrooms set up with whiteboards and all that stuff. And obviously they needed a lot of content for that. And uh, and ended up working for a lot of projects that were really doing that. And that, you know, it's a bit of a completely chance thing, you know, a little bit of experience of working in schools. And then here I am, because I loved anything to do with tech stuff. And um, so I embraced it and I worked in, um, I worked with the BBC. So there's like a big thing called BBC Jam, which was like a, a really ambitious program about uh, doing all subjects in a very sort of innovative way. Unfortunately, that didn't, that was very short lived because it got stopped by the private sector. And that was, that was quite sad, uh, but it was an amazing experience. And then I worked with a number of agencies where education was always at the heart of everything. Um, but all the work that I did, there was always that sort of common ground to it. Is is that um, it was about bringing the real life into the classroom and making things much more child centric. Oh. oh, I like that. You know what I do, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh, that is amazing. And uh, and it was always about that, and uh, I felt that. Um, if there was one thing that I think I was able to do, I mean, at that point, I wasn't writing content. I was more like sort of the content producer. So I was sort of working with writers and that sort of stuff. Hmm. Um, but I was always had this idea that it needs to be a bit fun and that having something that works for kids can also work for teachers. There's a sort of like weird notion that we have that learning has to be boring. I do not understand that. <laughs> I mean, that's maybe one of the reasons why we both had that problem in school, because we found that learning is fun. I always would go for walks and then I go, wow, look at this. And, the, and everything was a teachable moment. Exactly. And I know how kids are. They're very curious. And then we took that curiosity way. Exactly. Schools. I don't know if you know this guy called Derry Hannum. Uh, he's um, a UK educationist as well. And I mean, obviously a guy, he's, you know, he's an authority basically in, in, in progressive education. And I was looking at one of his talk last week and I was so inspired by it because he was saying, you know, um, it's almost impossible to stop people like young, young children or children, people from learning because we are learning beings. Somehow schools ma almost manage it. The one thing that stops us from learning is actually schools, which is like completely ironic, isn't it? Well, Sir Ken Robinson said the same thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, miss, yeah. Miss him, I'll tell you. Oh, so much. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, we can learn from this because, especially now because of the COVID and everything, and, and it kind of exposed some of the- So this, much. So much. So, okay, we'll get back to that. But I want to go into <laughs> your next, because you were the um, play-based and writing strategist for uh, Little Inventors. Yes, yes, exactly. So I was, um, my official title was Chief Educator. And uh, it was quite a, a very interesting project. Um, again, it sort of, I sort of fell into it a bit by chance. Um, I was following Dominic Wilcox, who is an artist, a fairly renowned artist, uh, designer. And he'd created, um, I, loved, I loved his work. It was very whimsical. And one day he sort of put a message out to saying that he was looking for someone to help him with working on projects. Oh. And at that stage I was, I was freelance and I was like, well, I don't really want, he seems to want a PA. I really don't want to be a PA, but I really like his work. So I'm just going to shoot a message and just say, hello, this is me. And I'll never hear from him again. And it will be fine. At least I won't have any regrets. 
um, except that he actually got in touch with me within 15 minutes. <laughs> wow. Because he, uh, yeah, he checked my experience on LinkedIn and he saw that all my sort of educational backgrounds. And then he sort of told me about this project that he'd done, which was called the Inventors Project. And um, it was a one-off project, which was about him going into schools and asking children to try to do invent things the way that he did. So looking at problems and finding things and drawing them. And, um, and he did that with, uh, I think it's 450 kids, I think. Wow. Good. And, um, and out of that, so they got all of these beautiful, really funny, clever, thoughtful, bonkers drawings. And then he got some professional makers to turn them into real things. And, mm-hmm. um, and this became an exhibition, basically. And it was like a, a proper celebration of children's imagination. Wow. Oh, that's so perfect. So lovely. And um, the project was supposed to stop there. But then, you know, in the, in the realm of crazy things that happen, quite familiar in my life, um, <laughs> the Canadian government got in touch with him to say, we would like to bring this to Canada. Ah. And this is pretty much exactly the point where I met him. And so he could have been anywhere in the world. He happened to live about 10 minutes away from where I live, which is ridiculous. You're kidding. Oh, that's so fun. That's so fun. Right down the street. I know. So I just like, I took my little bike and I went to meet him and then we had a chat and, um, and he had very different ideas about what he wanted to do. They were like talking about making an app that schools would buy. And I was like, that's not going to work. Schools have no money. Forget about it. And I said, you know, if you have people who are willing to pay to sponsor the challenges, that's a good way to do it. And so we started working with NSERC, which is the Natural Science and Research Council of Canada. And that's a, a governmental body that basically... Uh, funds science initiatives across Canada. And I came in to really uh, set the program together. So I created all the resources and I worked on the website and stuff like that. And we had a pilot and it went really well. And the the outcomes were presented to Mr. Trudeau. Really? Yeah, exactly. So So it was like aced from program one. Uh, and then I worked with Canada for four years, but that was uh, only one of the projects that we did. So, um, but Canada was amazing because the next partnership we did was with the Canadian Space Agency. <laughs> it's just, just like, oh, really? Just that? So they had one of the astronauts, this, um, this guy called David Saint-Jacques, um, was going into the International Space Station for six months. And so this is when we launched a challenge and it was all about how to improve the life of astronauts in space. Now. Oh. Relevant, <laughs> a little relevant. That's really good. Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, if you think about it, um, we're looking at astronauts that are going to have to go to Mars and that's not going to be six months. It's going to be years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, life needs to be bearable at that stage. And bringing the children in to sort of come up with crazy and wonderful ideas was just, just the ticket, basically. Um, and that was incredibly successful. We had um, over 3,000 entries, which... Wow. And that was kind of word of mouth, you know, it was like social media. We didn't do campaigns. We didn't do anything like that. So it was just um, resources that teachers could use and deliver in their own classes. And, um, and we had, we made 30 objects and two of them actually traveled, the, the, the drawings traveled to the International Space Station. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's beautiful. Did they take pictures? Yes, we have the pictures of the drawings from the International Space Station. I'll send that to you. Oh, and, um, that's so cool. And we had a web link with David Saint-Jacques in the International Space Station with the two children inventors talking about their ideas. Oh, now that's real. That's yes, real. That's and, very real. Oh, uh, what? 
What's cool is, um, so is that how your book, The Little Inventors in Space, got written? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what happened, so, so yeah, so we did this brilliant project, but um, before that, um, HarperCollins got in touch with us because ah. they found the resources, they found the website, and they really liked it, and they said, we think that there's a book in there. And um, oh. I, I never saw myself as someone who would write books. I mean, I, I didn't see myself as someone who'd write resources in the first place. But again, like all this stuff was forced upon me a little bit by chance. And I'm really lucky that it happened. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and basically, I just went, I just, I'm just going to do this. You know, it's, <laughs> it's exciting. That was fun. And so, um, so I did the first book, um, the, the concept and the writing of it. And Dominique did the illustrations. And, uh, and it became a bestseller. Of course. Um, well, you know, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> and it's out in the US, it's out in Canada, it's out in Italy, it's out in China, in Vietnam. Um, so, wow. you know, quite a crazy journey. And uh, on the back of that, HarperCollins got back to us and said, we would like to do three more books. Oh. And uh, this is how the next, um, the next two, so there's one about the environment, mm-hmm. green. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one about space, which are again sort of that. And there's another one that's in production, which is about the oceans. Oh, it's in production right now? It's in production, but I'm, I'm not, uh, because I'm, I'm now not at Little Inventors anymore. This is not, uh, I've, I've done the first three, but uh, the fourth one is not going to be with me, unfortunately. But that's okay. You got these. These are great. Okay. I love them. I love it. I'm talking to Catherine right now and her cat is walking in front of her. It's so funny. <laughs> she never stopped talking. I love it. She's just amazing. Um, you have a new book that you're working on and it's with this amazing park in, uh, in is it in London, North London? It's in North London. It's, uh, yes, it's sort of like just outside the centre. It's called Alexandra, uh, Alexandra Park and Alexandra Palace. Oh, yeah. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah. I know that. I know that place. It's an amazing place. It's a. Uh, it's full of amazing history. Um, it's the place where the BBC very uh, did their very first broadcast. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So that's so cool. 19, 1935, first BBC broadcast, and it was like you know the the natural home of David Attenborough for quite a long time. I think. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted to observe him in his own environment, that was the place to be. Oh, that's where the aeronauts were. Yes, and there was. Um, yes, so there's. Um, because it's uh, the place is about 150 years old, and it was like the the, big, the beginning of having green spaces for the public, and it was ah. real this sort of idea of bringing uh, green stuff to everyone. Because before that, parks were private, and so they created all of these bits of entertainment to bring people in. So you had um, aeronauts that would sort of go in hot air balloons and then jump off with or without <laughs> parachutes. Oh my gosh. There's a movie I know I saw. Yes. I, yeah. 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 I can't one. even imagine some of the things that people did then. Exactly. Yeah. And they, they had all these crazy flying machines. And then they had, um, they bought a light, they, they created a Lido, so like a swimming pool. And um, they wanted to make things really fun. So sometimes they would have shows where they would have elephants bathing, bathing in the <laughs> swimming pool. <laughs> Is that kind of why you t- you mentioned that the co- the book is going to be wild in the park? Is that why? Yes. Oh gosh, that's going to be fun. Well, I suppose no no elephants are involved in the making of the book uh, beyond beyond being referred to. But uh, it's more about uh, the idea that parks are wonderful places, and it's mm-hmm. for our mental health, from physical health, for everything. You know, having parks is uh, is incredible. Did you know 
I just found out recently, it's a brilliant fact, that London qualifies as a forest. No. Yeah, because for a piece of land to qualify as a forest, it has to be covered with at least 20% trees. Really? And London has 21. 21%? Yep. I'm going to check with Oakland, California, because there's a lot of trees here. <laughs> a forest. Wouldn't that be fun to say Oakland is a forest? I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to check with our mayor. and just let Exactly. Him know so we are. <laughs> London is supposedly the, uh, the largest urban forest in the world. Really? Oh, that is neat to know. I love it. You gave me some facts. I didn't know before. Go. Yeah, that is so I'm cool. all about the facts. I'm all about the facts. I think that yeah. facts are a way of... Um, my books are a lot about, so the, the nonfiction books that I do, I always try to find facts that are a little bit like, oh, I never knew that because that's how, I think that's how you grab people's attention and children's attention. That's definitely it. And, and you have some new things that you're planning. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, doing one thing is boring, isn't it? Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so, I mean, the, um, I kind of left Little Inventors in a way to concentrate on writing because I, I love doing the book so much. Mm-hmm. It was so much fun. Um, like, you know, the, the book about space. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a space person. But, um, but in a way, that's what enables me to create something that I think works for kids it's because I discover it just as they do. Mm-hmm. And so if it works for me, it's going to work for them. That's so perfect. <laughs> that's where you come. See, that, that superpower you talked about. That's what yeah. it is, is that exactly. you, can see, you can see things and you don't always have to be those things. You can also experience them in other ways. Yeah, exactly. And it's like a good revenge for my, you know, my head teacher from my school to just go, well, now I'm writing about space. What do you think about that? <laughs> Show you. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like me to sign this one for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, they'll come to you someday and, and have you read to the kids. You never know. It's amazing. So you're working on a book. So I'm working on two books. There's one that's particularly sort of apt to our conversations because Uh I'm doing this sort of, I'm basically doing a collaboration with a 12-year-old illustrator and she's in New Jersey. She's called Anaya Hamid and she's amazing. I am blown away by the illustrations. And they're amazing. I'm blown away that she's 12 years old. That's amazing. She's 12. Unbelievable. um, And she was... um, that came about where, um, you know, J.K. Rowling did this brilliant thing during the first lockdown. She released a new book, The Ichabog, something that she wrote for her kids um, years and years ago. And she never really thought of publishing it, I think. But then she thought, OK, let's do something special for, for lockdown. So every week she was releasing a chapter of this book. Mm. And every week she was inviting children across the world to submit illustrations for the book. Wow. And, uh, and at the end of the, the project, she chose 34 illustrations to be the official published edition of the book. Oh, that's, a, that's brilliant. That's amazing. And yeah. even better, she was actually also, um, she was responding to the children and giving them feedback. Oh, how, you know, that is very, oh, that's wonderful. That's such that's a big author, thing. Well, authors should do that. That is really perfect. Well, it's like, it's this sort of sparks of, you know, pure, like for a child to receive something for J.K. Rowling's about their drawing. And I mean, mind blown. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, so I, I was obviously following that quite closely because it's, you know, very close to everything that I'm doing. And I loved it. And I saw this, this girl's drawing and I was like, oh my God, they're amazing. They're so detailed, so much personality, so much style. And 
you know, I was blown away and I thought, well, she's one of the winners. I'm calling it. I'm calling it. She's one of them. And then three months later, they announced the winners and she wasn't on the list. I was gutted. I was yeah. absolutely gutted for her because I was like, I knew how many, I knew she'd done loads of them as well. And I thought this girl could have done the whole book by herself. Yes. Wow. And that's when I got thinking. I just thought she could do a whole book. I want to do more books. Maybe I should do a book with her. And you are. <laughs> and so, and so I got in touch. She has an Instagram. So I got in touch and said, could I have your mum's email, please? And I sent an email to her mum to say, so this is what I've done. This is what I do. This is what I'd like to do. I can't make any promises about where this is going to go. But, you know, if, um, if your daughter is up for it, I would love to do a project with her. I have a bit of an idea for a story and I would like to de develop it with her. And that's exactly what we've done. So we've met every Saturday since December for an hour. Oh, and we talked, about, we talked about the story. It's about a stray cat that visits nine houses and it has a different identity in each of them. <laughs> I had a cat like that. Yeah. I think I named I named the cat Andy and someone said, no, it's, it's not Andy. It's, <laughs> they all had different names for the Exactly. Cat. <laughs> that happens quite a lot. And that's, that came from, you know, we have the same thing. We have a cat in our garden that we called by a specific name. We called him Alden. That was my daughter's name for him. And then I found out the neighbor called him Basil. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that's how it started. And, um, And we've done this story when I've, I've written the words and she's doing the illustrations and they are just extraordinary. Uh, it's amazing. I've seen a few of them and I'm just like blown away. Yeah. So I can't wait till this book is out. I know people are going to love it. Yeah. I mean, we still have to, it's interesting because I'm thinking about maybe I, I will self-publish it. I'm not sure yet what I'm going to do, but I like the idea of, I really wanted to do a project when you can show how, the power of a collaboration between a child and an adult, because She's learned through this process. I've taught her what goes into making a book. Yes. She knows, you know, how many pages you've got to consider, what format, what sort of paper, how you sort of deal with text, how you deal with this, how you need a designer. And um, after this, she can make her own. Oh, yeah. And she, she will. I have no uh, doubt. Oh, well, that's so wonderful, especially at her age. She's just got the whole world ahead of her now. Exactly. It's, it's amazing. Well, I... Now, one other thing, we're going to have to end pretty soon because we could, yeah. we could talk all day. You know that, right? Yes, um, I know that. But you're working on a young adult novel, too. I, I just, okay, I have, I know I do a lot, but I think you beat me on all of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, it's a, do you want to talk about the novel or do you want to talk about the next project, the next education project? Because there's several things, you know. So you say you have a few things going on. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's talk about young adult novel just real quick, and then we'll go to the yeah. So the the young adult book, I did a I did a creative writing course in the summer, and really the idea of doing maybe sort of kids stuff for children aged eight or nine or something like that, something easy, in my view, because I was doing nonfiction for that. And uh, but the idea that came through during that week when I was doing that course was about a girl in a wheelchair who goes into a different world where she's able to walk for the first time in her life. And, um, and that, that idea just stayed with me. And I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? Embarking on something that is clearly, you know, much bigger than what I expected. <laughs> um, but, but somehow this is what, you know, sometimes you have to just grab what comes and just embrace it. And so this is what I'm doing. I'm about halfway through my, my draft. It's called Perfect Imperfect. 
And um, it's about this girl who is turning 18 and she's, you know, she feels like there's nothing ahead for her in life because she's stuck in a wheelchair. She's got brittle bone disease. And then by chance, she sort of finds herself catapulted into a, a different dimension where all children are genetically engineered to be perfect. And wow. in that world, in that world, she can walk. And um, so she gets to experience life in a very different way. But um, what it's teaching her is that actually she's, she, everything she needs is already in her. And it was all about the confidence. And um, she meets this other girl who is physically perfect, but obviously also very, uh, no one ever thinks that they're perfect. So she's got low self-esteem and stuff like that. And they basically learn from each other on how to make the best of their own imperfect self. I know a lot of people like this, so I think yeah. this is going to be wonderful. I And it's going to be a whole new thing that you're doing because a young adult novel is so different. Uh, it is. And it's been like, you know, again, what am I doing? But um, I suppose, you know, I've got a daughter who is in the sort of that age group and I speak to a lot of people in that realm. And I just think it's a really interesting age, the sort of the teenage years that's, again, much more aligned. We also always think, oh my God, they're so disruptive, et cetera. Actually, they are building themselves in a way that is so extraordinary. It's so formative that um, I really want to sort of send a bit of a message about you have everything you need. You don't need to change yourself. You can, you just need to find yourself. Oh, I love that. I love that. I, almost want to write that down as a quote, right? <laughs> got to remember you can that one. I have to remember that one. Okay. One other thing you're doing. <laughs> well, the other thing is, you know, I mean, this whole writing in Malarkey is brilliant, but the, you know, education is kind of like my, my, my love first and foremost, and I really want to do more there. And I loved um, the work I did at Little Inventors was really fascinating. It was brilliant to see how we could really make a difference in children's life by encouraging their creative confidence. And so I, I'm basically, I'm currently in a process of starting a new project, which would look at how we can take inspirations from creative thinkers, people who do creativity, but in the wider sense. So oh. artists and scientists and, and all sorts, like anyone who's using creativity um, and getting children to talk to them to find out more about how they got to where they are, because no one's gone to TikTok university, let's face it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And then ask them about, you know, how do they, how do they think and how do they practically start stuff and what are the problems that they have? Because I guess the point is um, schools are, you know, great at sort of giving some skills, but they're not really looking at the, schools, the, the skills that children are going to need in the future, which is all around problem solving, collaborating and uh, coming up with ideas. And, um, and also understanding that failure is, uh, can be a virtue by trying things. If you're brave and you try things, you are likely to learn more than by successes. I'm writing that one down too. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I mean, I've learned from so many failures I, in, where we never had that opportunity when we were in school. They no, exactly. Let well, us do that, you know. Well, well, school teaches you the opposite. It, it teaches you that failure is bad. You know, if you don't get the right mark, if you don't go from A to B, then you failed, and but not in a good way. You've just basically you're bad, and that needs to change. So, in a way, my my view on education is that we really need to flip the model. We need to stop teaching from the top down. We need to give children agency to decide what it is that they want to learn about because children are learners. They are natural learners. And if you, if you let them learn about stuff that they care about, oh my God, they're flying, you know. Well, you know, I wrote for something like this about yeah. 20 years ago because I, I mean, I've been trying to 
shake up the system and disrupt it. And um, we seem to take a few steps forward and then we go back. And yeah, so this is a really, I love the way you want to do it. And well, I'm excited. I think the the reason why, what I really want to do, I think if, if we're trying to change the whole system in one go, as you say, it's like, it's, we're going to keep on having trouble. Yes. But what I want to do is show that it's possible to create stuff that is child-centric and play-based. So, you know, children basically need a chance to use the sense of play. They are expert at play. Mm-hmm. Let's give them the chance to play, to try things, the freedom to do things and the space to do so. And then see what comes out of that. So try to stop forcing learning outcomes and giving them the space to try things. Um, but I think it's possible to do that within the current classroom as well. And that's, that's, you know, that's what I was doing with Little Inventors is creating resources that look, talked to kids, but was absolutely surfing the curriculum in a way that meant that it fitted in. And it was just an extension to bring something exciting in the classroom. So mm. it's the same principle. I want to sort of do something that can be relevant to schools now. We don't have to wait for the system to change, but really put the children forward and then sort of show how much we can engage them. I'm on your team here. I want to do this. <laughs> I also. know you are. I've been trying so long to try to say you can do one little thing and one small yeah. bite, you know, just to bring some joy into the into their lives because especially now they need it. Exactly. They need it. More than ever. Parents need it. We all need this. So the teachers need it. Yeah, we all need it. So on that note, I love <laughs> this conversation. Me too. I just, I am so grateful to know you and and that we were able to have this time together. Oh, amazing. Catherine, you're just, anyway, I'm sending you a big hug from uh, the other side of the pond. <laughs> and right, right back at you. <laughs> oh, thank you. And you take care and stay safe. You too. Bye. This is Barbara Bray. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Catherine Mengarden. There's a blog post with links and resources to go with this podcast that's on my website, barbabray.net. Did you know that there are hundreds of podcasts now where my guests and I feel like we're sitting and talking on my porch? It would be such an honor if you subscribe to my Rethinking Learning podcast and also subscribe to my website, barbabray.net. You receive announcements, updates, and resources. I'd love a review. While you're there, click on the Define Your Why tab about my book where I added questions, resources, and links. Click on the Resources tab to get to my toolkit that I hope you find valuable. I love the stories on my site. Every story is different unique and an adventure. All of our stories matter. Your story matters. Now we need each other more than ever. Keep sharing your story and please stay safe and be well.